Amen. Friends, open in your Bibles with me to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good, good, you got it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. We know that, and we gather this morning to celebrate that, but I wonder if you can remember the first time that you heard that. Not, not that he is risen, he is risen indeed, call and response, but the news that Christ indeed is risen from the dead. Can you remember when you first heard that story? I can't. And I imagine many of us are probably in that same boat. If you grew up in the church, there's a very good likelihood that you can't remember not knowing that Jesus rose from the dead. Of course he rose from the dead. That's what you've been taught your entire life, right? For others of you who may have come to faith at a later age, there was a time as you were coming to grips with who Jesus was that you read this story and believed and said, wait a minute, he he really did rise from the dead. It's that shocking belief that I want to help us remember this morning or experience for those of us who never had that experience. We come to Matthew 28, where we see Jesus risen from the dead, and it's easy to come with a sense of this is old news. We've already heard this. We know this. We take it for granted all the time. I want us this morning very simply to walk through Matthew 28, the first half of the chapter, hear this resurrection story with fresh ears. And my hope is that as we walk through the story, our hearts can be pulled in by this tremendous news. It really is amazing that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. I want us to think about this and reflect on how we ought to respond to it this morning. Before we do, though, Would you join me in praying one more time and asking God's blessing as we go into his scriptures? Father, I look forward to the day when we will do what we just sang about, joining you in that victory song. Because everything wrong has been made right and the fullness of your kingdom has come. You have really swallowed up death. You have really won the victory in Christ. We know all those things are true and we long for that day. I pray, Lord, that in the meantime, while we wait, that you fill us with faith as we read your word. Help us to read with fresh eyes, to think about the reality of Christ risen from the dead and be as amazed as Mary and Mary were when they saw the empty tomb. I pray that you would help us engage with this text by your spirit and that you would accomplish by your spirit what you intend to do in our hearts. Would you give us soft hearts? Ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Rather than reading the story through once and then kind of walking through it, I want to walk through the story and read it slowly with you and think about it. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to cover verses 1 through 10, but we're going to take them piece by piece. I want to start in verse 1. Let's hear the setting of this story. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. We can skip over that real quick. It's just background details, but I want to think about it for a sec. Think about where they were and what they were doing. Try to set your mind in ancient Israel. 
as they're in the Judean countryside waiting for the Sabbath to be over, remember they had to bury Jesus in the tomb after he died quickly because the Sabbath was approaching in which they couldn't do any of the work related to burial, right? And so they're waiting for an opportunity to go to the tomb, to take the journey back to the tomb and to sit by the tomb and engage with the crucified Jesus as they prepare his corpse for burial. They wanted to go back and do all of these burial rituals. And so Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to see the tomb. Toward the dawn, as the sun is just rising, they're headed over into the tomb area. We read from one of the other gospels that this tomb was in kind of a little garden area. So picture them entering in, heading towards this garden anyway, on a walk, not knowing what they'll find. How did they feel as they were approaching this tomb, do you think? Think back to the disciples. How did they feel? What had they just experienced? They just experienced the man they were following for the last couple of years. The man they knew was the Messiah who was going to deliver Israel, especially from the Roman occupation. The man they expected to triumph, they had just experienced him be unjustly, wrongfully accused, be beaten, be crucified, and be buried. If that was me, my heart would be filled with great sadness and sorrow and grief. They clearly loved Jesus. These women were going there not just because of the necessity of burying him as a, as a Jew, but they were going there braving the Roman soldiers they knew were guarding the tomb because they loved their Savior. And they had just lost him. They were heartbroken as they approached the tomb. They had no reason to help other than that they could go and find him and give him a proper burial. Honor him as they wanted to honor him. They weren't going expecting to find an empty tomb, right? They were going looking for a corpse. They felt sorrow. They felt grief. I imagine they felt weak and afraid as well. They didn't know what they were going to find at the tomb, but they knew that there would be soldiers guarding it. And Roman soldiers wouldn't take too kindly to a couple of Jewish women coming to the tomb early in the morning. They knew also there was a stone rolled over it. And they didn't necessarily know how they were going to handle that. So they go, weak and afraid, and they go compelled by love to see the tomb, as Matthew says. Some unexpected things happen as they're going. Look at verse 2. And behold... This calls our attention to pay attention to this. Behold, something unexpected happened. What happened? Behold, there was a great earthquake. This is the second earthquake that has happened in 36 hours in Jerusalem. Because remember what happened when Jesus breathed his last. The temple curtain was torn in two and great earthquakes split open tombs in the city. Matthew records that later the dead rose after Jesus had risen. But the tombs were split open already because of this massive earthquake. It was a supernatural response to Jesus giving up his life. And here, there's another earthquake. Imagine them walking on the way to this tomb expecting a peaceful Sunday morning, even though it's filled with grief. And all of a sudden, the earth begins to tremble. 
I, I don't know about you. I've been in one earthquake and it's scary. That one was super minor. I can't imagine what they felt, the kind of fear that must have overcome them. Behold, Matthew says, there was a great earthquake and he gives us the reason why this earthquake happened. For what happened? There was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The cause of this earthquake was an angel coming down from heaven. I've never seen that happen. I can't imagine what that would be like. An angel coming down from heaven and rolling away the stone. The earthquake was so that the stone would be rolled away out of its little socket. These stones, giant stones, would be rolled in front of the tombs into this little lip that would kind of seal it there. And it was super heavy and hard to move. And this angel came down and moved it and a mighty earthquake resulted. He sat on the stone and Matthew says his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. This language ought to call to mind for us the language describing the glory of God. We see in Daniel 7 that the Ancient of Days is white like snow. And we see earlier in Matthew 17 when Jesus is changed on the mountain that his face shines like the sun. Light, fire, bright whiteness, all of those are associated with the glory of God. And this angel is shining with the glory of God as he sits on the stone. It's no wonder that the soldiers responded by being struck dumb with fear. Look at verse 4. These soldiers are guarding this tomb, and they're supposed to guard it with their life. And look what happens to them. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They were awestruck by this angel. I would be too, right? Totally flabbergasted. Unbelievable that this angel would come down and that the ground would shake and the tomb would be opened and the angel would be shining bright with glory of God. And so the soldiers are struck dumb with fear. This is the scene that Mary and Mary come to. Angel glowing brightly on the rocks, soldiers standing there or lying there prostrate perhaps, not, not knowing what's going on, but knowing that the ground had just shaken, something had happened. Can you imagine what might have been going through their heads? How do we get to Jesus now? Right? Because they're still on a mission. They're still trying to find the corpse of Jesus, the body of Jesus. How do we get to him now? Imagine their kind of confusion that they would have felt, the kind of fear. The angel knows that they are afraid, and so he responds. This is the next movement in the story. All of this stuff is building up. To a climax where the angel speaks. He responds to the Mary and Mary coming on the scene in verse 5. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He speaks words of comfort to the women. Do not be afraid. Because typically the response, right? When you see an angel glowing bright with the glory of God that just caused an earthquake, you fall down afraid. That's what everybody does in the scriptures. And so the angel says, do not be afraid. Be comforted, Mary and Mary. I know why you're here. Notice what the angel says about why they're there. I know, he says, that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Think about what they might be thinking now. 
good. This angel is here to help us. We didn't know what to do about the guards. We didn't know what to do about the stone. But now both of those have been taken care of. The stone has been rolled away so we can get into the tomb and properly bury our Lord. That's not why the angel's there, though. This is the shock that comes to them. Next, we see in verse 6, the first part of verse 6, he is not here. He is not here. This is not what they were expecting. After all of this, they made it to the tomb. They longed to see their Lord, and what are they told? He is not here. Just hearing that news, what would have popped in their mind? We know from the other Gospels, like the Gospel of John, that one of the conclusions that popped into their mind was, somebody's taken him. In the Gospel of John, we see Mary cry out, where where have they taken my Lord? Please tell me, so I can go and get his body and care for it. Right? They're still longing to see the body of their Lord and to care for him. And now they're filled with this shock and possibly grief. He is not here. The one we long to see is gone. But the angel doesn't stop there. He gives the reason why Jesus isn't there and it blows their minds. He is not here. Verse 6. Why? For he has risen as he said. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Can you imagine hearing that? He is not here for he has risen as he said, expecting to find a body in the tomb. Even though, as the angel says, he is not here, he has risen as he said. They should have expected Jesus to be raised, but they didn't. Imagine them trying to remember Jesus' teaching. I think about like in Matthew 16, when Jesus begins to teach his disciples that to be the Messiah means he's going to suffer and die and rise again. And then what does Peter do right after that? He rebukes him. He says, may it never be, Lord. And then what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Right? All through Jesus' ministry, he is teaching the disciples what it means that he is the Messiah who's going to rise from the dead. And they still don't get it. This gives me great hope as someone who's stubborn and hard-headed, right? The disciples didn't get it. Maybe there's hope for guys and gals like us. Mary and Mary were blown away by this news. He has risen as he said. Their heads are reeling, trying to absorb this. The angel lays this bomb on them and then invites them to respond in two ways. To this news. He says. After saying he has risen as he said. In verse 6. The angel says come see the place where he lay. Come and see the angel says. Don't just take my word for it. Come and look in the tomb and see that it is empty. Mary and Mary are invited to glance in. And see an empty tomb and then believe the words of Jesus that he said that the tomb would be empty. That he said the sign he was going to give was the sign of Jonah where he would be in the belly of the earth three days and then rise. They're invited to believe that but notice what's missing. Even as they're called to come and see and believe. There's still no Jesus right. 
What they're called to do is come and behold the empty tomb and remember his words and believe that his words were true. The angel invites them to come and have faith that Jesus is risen because he is not here. Not only that, but he invites them then to be witnesses to what they have seen and believed. Verse 7. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The angel invites response to this kind of news. He is not here for he has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. Seeing, believe, and then go and tell the disciples. Go and tell the disciples. It's remarkable in all of the gospel stories that it's women who are witnesses to the resurrection. Because in Jewish culture, women couldn't be witnesses in court. In other words, this isn't a very good witness. This This doesn't stand up to scrutiny, which is all the more reason to believe it's not made up. Because if they did, they did a poor job at making it up. These women are called to go and be witnesses, to tell the disciples. And we know from the other gospels that when they tell the disciples, often the disciples don't really believe them. Right? Peter wants to go and see it for himself. John wants to go and see it for himself. They're called to go as witnesses to the resurrection, bringing the good news to these disciples. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see that this is true, and go and tell his disciples. Mary and Mary obey. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Notice, as they go, the fear that they'd been feeling is now fear mixed with joy. It's probably more in awe at this point. I'm sure they had trouble speaking on the way as they were coming to tell the disciples. I can't imagine the kind of difficulty it would be to get that kind of news out that you weren't expecting. It was greater than you could hope for, and yet it was true. Fear gives way to awe and great joy, and then something really interesting happens. In verse 9, And behold, we're told again, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. What, what a kind Savior we have. He didn't need to do that. He didn't have to do that, right? They were already on their way to tell the disciples. They had come and they had seen. They had believed that the words of Jesus were true. And they were going to tell, and yet here, as they're on their way to tell, Jesus himself meets them, offers words of comfort again. Do not fear. And again, encourages them, reaffirms that commission. Go and tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee. This is the story of the resurrection. And it makes one main point. Jesus himself, Jesus Christ, really was raised from the dead, just as he said he would be. This is the whole point of this story, and it's a point so simple that it feels like 
There's got to be more to it, right? Like, what else do we say? But friends, this is the simplicity of our faith this morning. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead just as he said he would be. This is the central fact to all we believe about the gospel. It's so central when Paul summarizes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. He summarizes it by saying that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose. When he summarizes what we need to believe for faith in Romans 10, he says what we need to do is we need to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that he, God raised him from the dead. Right? This is central to our faith. This simple message that Jesus Christ himself really is risen from the dead. It's the ground for all of our hope as well. Paul, again, in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's reflecting on the resurrection, says that if Jesus hasn't been raised, then we ought to be pitied because we really don't have any hope, right? If Jesus hasn't been raised, then he is a liar because Romans 1 says he was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. If he hasn't been raised, then he lied about being God's son. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then we have no hope of reconciliation with God. No reason to believe we have an advocate with the Father. Hebrews bases Jesus being our high priest on his indestructible life. And if death had the victory, then none of that counts. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then death itself has not been defeated. The promise we read in Isaiah has not come true. If Jesus hasn't been raised, there is no hope for you and I of resurrection, of eternal life, of everything wrong being made right. If Jesus hasn't been raised, then all of the feasting that we did and will do later today, Lord willing, all of the family time that we enjoy spending together, none of that matters. All of that is ultimately futile. Do you know why? Because we're all going to die. And death will steal all of that. If Jesus hasn't been raised, death gets the final word. But if Jesus has indeed been raised, and he has, then death does not have the final word. Then we feast. We spend time with family. We live with a certain hope of the future. Because Jesus Christ himself has been raised. I think for us this morning, the biggest danger is not denying that Jesus has been raised. This was the danger for Mary and Mary, right? They went, they went expecting a corpse. For them, it was a challenge of, is Jesus really raised? And then believing he is. For us, I think the challenge that we face, the danger that we have is more indifference. It's more indifference to the fact that Jesus has been raised, to letting it just become a common piece of our faith that we don't think about much. We don't dwell on much. I think when I, when I first approached this text, like I, I was talking to Thad about it and saying, what I find most striking in this text initially is verses two to four, right? The description of the earthquake and this angel whose clothing was like, was like lightning and white as snow. That would be something, Right? But he is not here. He is risen just as he said he, he would. Like that's, that's just common knowledge. It's easy to put the emphasis in the wrong place. We can ignore 
or become indifferent to the resurrection. This happens to us as well around Easter time when we make this season more about just being together with family and the kind of joy that comes. There's nothing wrong with that joy. It's a good joy to be able to gather with family and friends, feast together, celebrate. But when we don't do it in light of the fact that Jesus has been raised, like I said, it's all futile. And our world would look at this time period of Easter and would say, that's what it's all about. We must stand on texts like this and say, no, what it's about is he is not here. He is not here for he has risen, as he said. We must overcome indifference by faith. And I think the way we do that is the same way that Mary and Mary were invited to respond to the news of the resurrection. It's the same way for you and I. What were they told to do? He is not here for he has risen just as he said. Come and see. You and I are called to respond to this news by coming and seeing. This is an invitation to us to investigate Examine the faith for ourselves. How do we do that if there's no empty tomb to come and see? We can come and see, first of all, the evidence, the scriptural witness to this event, right? Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15 how Jesus was seen, raised from the dead by over 500 people. We can look at the witness of church history, People willing to give their lives because they believe that Jesus really is risen from the dead. We can look at scripture itself because all of it testifies to the fact that there is a Messiah who is risen. And friends, we can come and see the effects of Jesus risen and reigning. This is what we see as we gather together as the people of God. We see the effects of a risen and reigning Savior in the lives of his individual people. You and I, as we gather together and see how our lives are changed by trusting in Jesus. How we're drawn to, do, to be shaped into the character of Christ. How the, the kingdom of God starts poking through. As we experience reconciliation and peace with one another. As we experience the kind of love that Christ had for us with one another. Jesus says, you'll know, they'll, know, uh, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We can see the evidence that Jesus has been risen from the dead at work in our lives. We're called to come and see and we're called to believe. And coming and seeing and believing, we're called to go and tell. We can let... The reality of the resurrection be at work in us during this season and during every season of life. As we recognize that the reality of Jesus raised from the dead demands a response. This is not neutral ground. We can't have indifference to the resurrection. It's not a nice to have. It's central to everything we believe. Everything about the gospel. We're called... To respond with faith. And as we do, our, the indifference that we feel. As we see the reality of the resurrection at work. 
it, that reality starts to sink into our hearts. And we start to realize that this isn't just a historically interesting thing. But this is central to everything we are and everything we do. We start seeing the reality of the resurrection flow into all areas of our life. And as we do, we become like Mary and Mary, whose fear and trembling is transformed into joy. We can experience that same thing as we go and tell. And friends, as we come and see and go and tell and the reality of the resurrection sinks into us as a people, we together are filled with great hope for the day when Jesus risen returns. Because that's why we have hope in the future, hope for the future. Not just that Jesus was raised and left us to our own devices, but that Jesus is raised, is reigning as king, and is returning one day for his people to bring his kingdom, to bring the kingdom where God says in Revelation 21, every tear will be wiped away from every eye. Death and dying will be no more. All will be made new. God will dwell with his people in the city of light where there is no need for sun or moon or stars because the glory of God is its light. It's a city where we get to dwell with our risen Savior forever. And then we get to be just like Mary and Mary. We get to see him face to face. That's a great joy that you and I can look forward to. And that joy is only possible because Jesus himself really is risen from the dead, just as he said he would. Let's pray. Jesus, we long for that day when we can see you face to face. You told us in your word that it is good to see and believe and it is even better for those who have seen you with or who believe in you without seeing. Who those who take your word to be true. So I pray, Jesus, that you would fill us with faith, that you would help us to trust that you are indeed risen from the dead and that you would help us to take that certain knowledge and spread all throughout our life. Would you help us as we go out from this glorious Sunday into next week, in, into, this, into this coming week, help us, Lord, to live each day in light of the reality of the resurrection. Jesus, would you change us by this truth? And would you help us then be witnesses to your resurrection, filled with joy, filled with eagerness to share this news with others? I pray that you do these things for your glory and our great joy. Amen.